Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. I want you to know that some of today's content may be difficult. One year ago this week, Remy Lawrence's world fell apart. Her 13-year-old son, Tyler, was shot and killed in Mattapan while visiting his grandparents. And a 34-year-old man has been charged with Tyler's murder. Now, shortly after his death, Remy, who lives in Norwood, told a reporter, come see about us. Come see about us because we're not okay. One year to the day since Tyler's death, we did. I sat down with Remy Monday and asked her how she's doing. I am doing the best that I can do every day. What does that look like for you when you find the strength to put one foot in front of the other every day? Where does it come from? Where do you draw your strength from? All of the strength and any power that I have within me, I attribute it solely to my faith, to my belief in God, and the spirit of my son that lives in me in the spirit of my mother that lives in me. Is Tyler with you? Tyler is very much with me. Always, I feel him with me. I know that he's with me. There are days when it feels like I am still waiting for Tyler to come home. More days than not, I feel like I am waiting, and I'm not always sure what I'm waiting for, but I do feel Tyler. I live in the same apartment that we lived in together. His room is unchanged. He could never not be with me. I could never not feel Tyler. Tell us about him as the proud, loving mom that you are. Tyler a very sweet boy, very kind, very loving, very forgiving. Tyler loved Dr. Martin Luther King. Tyler loved his grandparents endlessly. Uh, Tyler and my dad were best friends. Tyler and my mother were inseparable. Tyler was the best son I could have ever asked for. One of the things that I have a son and one of the things that can be just so endearing about boys that age is if, you, if you've got 10 of them in a room and they're all 13, some of them still look like they're six, right? And some of them look like they're 20 because yes. <laughs> they sort of hit yes. that, right? So where was he sort of in, in his adolescence? Had he, had he gotten gangly oh, and, or was yes. he still a little kid? Tyler was... Um You know, he had just turned 13 on December 3rd, so he was very newly into preteenhood. But, you know, he I think he looked like a young boy that was maturing. He had nice height on him. Remarkably handsome, handsome smile, bright smile. Tyler walked on his tippy toes. And that was just a part of, like, like my mother and I used to always joke, you know, just a part of his lanky build. Boing, yes, boing, boing. absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, 
So yeah, Tyler, Tyler was growing up and he was coming along quite nicely. I know um, from other interviews you've given that he and his grandfather used to love to watch the Celtics together. Oh, yeah. I wonder what he would have made of this year's Boston Celtics team because they're pretty hot. Oh, he'd be extremely proud. He'd be happy. He'd be all worked up. Um, You know, he'd be running around my kitchen shooting air balls. You know, that's (laughs) one thing that he loved to do. You know, he loved to run into the kitchen like it was a basketball court and and shoot this imaginary ball all around me while I'm cooking. And, you know, I'd just be like, Tyler, come on, you know, and he just... But that was who Tyler was. He was a lot of fun, and he he was a lot of light, and he brought a lot of light into the lives of people that loved him, including his peers. Do you have a call to action um, for uh, for other families, uh, other moms and dads and kids, elected leaders? Doesn't have to be the same call to action for all those folks either. The things you want from those of us you've asked to come see about you? What I want is going forward, um, should any family ever face the nightmare, the tragedy that my family faced, I would really hope that law enforcement takes away from this um, the importance to speak about a victim of homicide, specifically a child, with as much information and knowledge that you can about the victim that you're speaking about. I think it is imperative for the powers that be in this community, in this state, to not use inflammatory language. Like targeted. Like targeted. Which the district attorney at the time in his early statement, suggested that Tyler might have been targeted, which is a loaded statement that suggests that perhaps he was involved in yes. in illegal behavior when, in fact, he wasn't. And we know, in fact, uh, everything of everything that we can about the motivations of the man who's been accused of killing him, that he was not targeted. Yes. Tyler was a child. Tyler was a child of God, a little boy so much promise, who fully deserved to walk to the store in his grandparents' neighborhood. Um, And I just, I really think it's important to stay away from inflammatory language. Um, It is, it can be devastating. Did you ever get an apology? I did. Um, I think, I think District Attorney Hayden, um, I think he did his best to make that right, and I I can accept that. What else can we do better? I think that another thing to be mindful of is the devastation that that homicides again, specifically those of children, the devastation that this takes on. Not only the family, but the young people, the children that knew Tyler, that went to school with him every day, the teachers, the school community. There are many who continue to grieve Tyler's loss with my family and I. And I think it's important, again, when we're talking, to be mindful that other people, 
aside from the family, are impacted deeply and devastatingly by lack of insight and awareness um, when speaking about speaking about the victim. There are children that continue to try to make sense of, of why this happened to Tyler, why this person said that, you know, and I just encourage the young people specifically to remember and to always hold on to who, you, who they knew Tyler to be, the light that he was in their homeroom, the light that he was while working on their science projects. You know, these children got to really know Tyler, and they miss him, and um, sometimes I, I feel that they're not, that they're not remembered. And they should be, because they deserve to be. They are young people, too, that are trying to navigate the world and and trying to make sense of the unimaginable. And so they deserve to be loved on, too, and they deserve support. You want us to come see about them? I do. There are good kids that, that text me frequently, come by my house, ring my bell, bring my groceries in for me help me to feel almost like Tyler sent them go check on my mom go go see how my mom's doing these kids are hurting it sounds like you're one of the people that can give them some love I hope to I hope to um, I try to be a strong support in the lives of the young people that knew Tyler um, I believe that how you show up for a person matters. So I do my best to show up for them. Whether it's, you know, spending time with the kids, quality time um, on the weekends, taking a group of kids to ice cream. What was what, Tyler's favorite flavor? Oh, Tyler loved uh, cotton candy ice cream with bubblegum topping from Daddy's Dairy <laughs> in Norwood Center. His favorite place, yes. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about um, the man who's been arraigned for killing Tyler? Yes, I'll try. Do you know when the trial will be? Uh, I know that the trial is scheduled for November of 2024. Do you want to be there? As much as I can, as much as I have the capacity to. Why? Because I stand... For Tyler. I always fought for Tyler. And I always advocated for Tyler. And I'm not going to ever stop. I want to show my resilience. Most importantly, I want to show my faith. My strength and my love for Tyler. Is forgiveness something that you think about, care about, want to talk about? Um, I do think about forgiveness because forgiveness is important. One day, I I pray to be forgiven. But I've also, what the evil that took Tyler from this world did so in a way for me that is inexplicably violent 
and atrocious. And at this time, with where I'm at in my life, I don't know that God would expect me to find forgiveness in my heart. Understood. For that, um, I leave that one up to God to forgive. When you think about um, Tyler's light, because he's with you and he's shining um, and he was a beautiful boy. When you think about the way he'll guide you forward and the place, it's 10 years from now, and you're looking back on the way that his light has guided you to do good work, and you're smiling at it, and you're saying, because of you, Tyler, I've done this good work. What do you think it'll be? I think it will be my dream coming to fruition that I will have a nonprofit that functions to serve young people and the grandmothers and mothers that are helping to raise them. I believe that will look like me sharing my story with the world. Um, what happened to my family on January 29th 2023 is unimaginable. It is. It was truly um, one of the worst nightmares come true. So I hope that I will continue to heal in order to rise to the occasion to do great things in Tyler's honor, Tyler's legacy. Um, there is a scholarship named for him at Northeastern University Law School. It is the Tyler J. Lawrence Peacemaker Award, which will be awarded to a law student at the law school forever. As long as there is Northeastern University School of Law in existence, the Tyler J. Lawrence Peacemaker Award will be the legislator uh, passed funds for the Tyler J. Lawrence Memorial Park to be built at the Norwood Airport. We're expecting that to happen sometime in late spring, early summer. A Tyler belonged to a neighborhood basketball league, no books, no ball, that honored Tyler over the summer with 600 children in the city <laughs> wearing t-shirts did say in memory of Tyler Lawrence. Tyler's Middle School, the Coakley Middle School in Norwood, will be dedicating a bench with his name on it to go into the newly constructed middle school. Last spring, Tyler's classmates fundraised and raised funds and had a, a basketball game, three-on-three -three basketball game in his memory. There have been beautiful things to come about. Tyler will not be forgotten. You said a minute ago that, you know, January 29th, 2023 was unimaginably the worst thing that had happened to your family. Um, you 
taking time to remember him, letting us check in on you, sharing his legacy with us on January 29th, 2024, is an act of resilience and love and faith um, that I can only imagine. And I want to thank you for, for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Remy Lawrence joined us on Monday afternoon. Now later, Remy reached back out. After reflecting, she realized she was more angry and felt DA Kevin Hayden's remarks did more damage than she told me, and she felt poorly supported by the Boston community and Mayor Michelle Wu. When Tyler was murdered, she wanted Boston to stop to feel that the city found his death unacceptable, and we didn't. So to honor her, we will talk about that. Coming up, why didn't we react that way in Boston, and what can we do differently? Not enough. That's how Remy Lawrence describes Boston's response to her son Tyler's murder one year ago this week. Not enough from Kevin Hayden, the district attorney, not enough from leaders like Mayor Michelle Wu, and not enough from her community in the city. So why? And how can we do better? We want to talk about that. Here in Studio 2, Adrian Walker, associate editor and columnist for the Boston Globe. Also here, Marie St. Fleur, former state representative. And on the line, State Senator Liz Miranda. State Senator, welcome back. Glad to be here. Hi, everybody. Marie, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for being here. And Adrian, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I, you all heard the conversation with Remy Lawrence. It, it's it's hard. It's hard to hear someone's grief that fresh and that raw. Um, you know, in her comments afterward, Liz Miranda, she talked about that that struggle between wanting to play nice um, and wanting to let all of the anger that comes uh, happen. Uh, and that really stuck with me as a woman, as a mom, as somebody who both is angry with the systems and institutions that she felt let her down, but who needs systems and institutions as this goes on. So I just want to start with you there, Liz Miranda, and give you a chance to react. Well, you know, I was completely moved by um, Remy's comments. I got a chance to meet Remy, her dad, her mom. Um, in the short aftermath of traveling to Norwood, um, I knew that the crime happened in Mattapan, and I represent Mattapan, and I'm a survivor too. I lost my brother in 2017, and he had two kids that were three and seven. And when I went to Norwood, what struck me the most were the hundreds and hundreds of young people um, who had come from his middle school from the town of Norwood, and also some had traveled from the city of Boston, many kids from No Books, No Ball. And um, I immediately jumped into support with the repass. But as an elected official and a survivor, it's clear to me, I spoke to Remy yesterday, that in the aftermath of the follow-up after he was laid to rest, many of us returned back to work or responded to the next crime. And her anger is valid. Uh, it's totally appropriate. It is not normal that a 13-year-old gets gunned down on our streets while walking to Burger King um, in a community that he had lived his whole life where he felt safe. And it's not normal um, that we're planning funerals and repasses for children uh, who can't even drive. And so I feel like her anger is is valid. And I told her yesterday that I'm sorry that we could have did better collectively. Um, to remember 
um, him in the city of Boston, but also go back to that Mattapan community with many of the neighbors were shocked and devastated at the loss of a young man that they had grown to know and love. So there's so much we can talk about here. Um, Marie and Adrian, I, I want to touch the two other sort of keystones of uh, what Remy was saying to us afterwards. So let's talk about Kevin Hayden for a second, Marie. Um, what she said afterward was that his apology, which we heard she said, you know, he did apologize and I accepted it. She said it, quote, certainly does not negate the harm it caused to my family and how his inflammatory language contributed to the negative stereotypes of homicides, and in this case, the murder of my innocent 13-year-old son, end quote. We did reach out to his office, uh, and they said they were not going to comment. Um, last year, we had spoken with Mona Lisa Smith for, of Mothers for Justice and Equality on Radio Boston shortly after um, Tyler died. Um, and in response to the targeted comment, she had said this. No mother should ever ever have to go through this pain and then defend the, 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 the human side of her, her child. There is a deep lesson here, Marie. This is something we can learn to do better. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, my continued condolences again, because this doesn't end for the Lawrence family and for the community at large um, that love Tyler. And so my continued condolences to the family and and the pain that they continue to experience. I guess what um, what what happened there is that is a recognition and a reminder that language matters. And oftentimes, um, we get a sense of a, a, a policy creates a set of vocabulary, and we use them without intentionality. And, and I think that perhaps is what happens here. And, and I know Kevin Hayden, he has, he has young um, children too. So I understand um, that he apologized, but I, I, I hope that his office now understands and that there's a lesson for the, for the larger group of people about how they use language and the fact that no child, no matter who the child is, what happened, how it happened, should be labeled because that label has an impact that reverberates beyond the victim. Um, it, it, it impacts the community. It paints community a certain way. And so we need to reflect about how we use language. And I think that's the lesson there, and that's the training um, that perhaps it has to happen, not simply for law enforcement, folks connected with law enforcement, but also folks connected um, with public health and human services, because we tend to label community, and that that label carries a narrative, which is often negative. So, Kev, uh, so Adrian Walker, we'll pick up that third touchstone, which was the city of Boston and, and her disappointment in Boston Mayor Michelle Wu. She said to us later, quote, the response in the city of Boston was in stark contrast to the way that Norwood rallied around my family, end quote. And we heard State Senator Liz Miranda talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, she also said this to our producer, Rob Lane. I feel that Mayor Wu should have implored to this city what an absolute tragedy Tyler's death was. He was a child. She is a mother. I expected more. And I want to note, we reached out to Mayor Wu's office for comment. They were working on uh, getting us a response. They didn't get it to us in time for the show. Um, but that, you know, this reacting in empathy and, and responding to people um, as a city, as city officials, and as a community, and meeting them where they are, Adrian, how do we do that better? And how do we think about that? Well, you know, it's all just so deeply disappointing. I, as you know, I interviewed 
Remy Lawrence and her parents. I believe it was three days after Tyler was murdered. And uh, we talked about all of this. You know, yeah. it was after the DA had made his deeply unfortunate statement. And she was calling on the mayor to come visit. The mayor visited with her later that day. But it was really, it was really late, you know. And I, I think she's absolutely right that the response of the city and of public officials was really, it was really deplorable when you think about it. And when I sat with them, the pain of that, the grief of that was so raw for them. I remember her father kept saying to me, Tyler was a good boy, Mr. Walker. Please tell people that. So, um, Liz Miranda, I'll bring you back in. Um, so, okay, so now we're sitting with this, right? Here we are. Yeah. We're sitting with this. We've, we've checked back in with Remy Lawrence. She's uh, helped us remember her boy, right, um, who loved the flavor of cotton candy and the Boston Celtics and was probably growing so fast his pants were up above his ankles um, and wants her, the city of Boston, to respond better. And um, as Marie St. Fleur says, the grief is going to go on. W- what do we start to do here or could have started to do too many times before uh, Liz Miranda to do better uh, by the kids we lose um, and to stop losing our kids? I mean, first and foremost, last night, you know, the Massachusetts Senate passed the gun safety bill and I was surely um, standing on the strength of being a survivor and also bringing in the families like the Odoms and the Prasads and Tyler's family to say that with the 251 deaths we just saw over the last five years, and Tyler being one of them, many of them being 13, 14, 16-year-olds, 18, 19-year-olds, that this is not normal and we need a collective action. I think the first step is we need to understand community trauma better, and we need to resource the community trauma teams that we send out after every shooting and every homicide in our city. Boston is unique that we have the Lewis D. Brown Peace Institute. We have hubs. We have the Boston trauma team and the neighborhood trauma team. We have a chief of public safety. We have the police department that has a team that's supposed to connect with families. The DA's office has people who connect with families. Elected officials, we're supposed to be responsive. All those people, we we seem to be resource rich and coordination poor still in the ways in which we respond, in the ways in which we follow up. It is now a year later. Um, I could just speak for myself. I spoke to the Lawrences um, many times during the month that followed. But after that, I too went back to do my work uh, at the State House and didn't follow up as much until the anniversary came up. So I hold myself accountable that we need to be better as uh, public officials in response. The second, you just heard Remy talk up the third. I mean, Remy talked about all the ways in which Norwood is honoring her son. Mind you, he just went to Norwood. He's a Mattapan kid, and we can do better in Mattapan and in the city of Boston to honor him. And I think fourth, in his memory, um, there have already been homicides this year and the months that follow Tyler's. We need to go back and connect with every family that has experienced homicide in our city and ask them, what do they need? And then we need to deliver. We need to deliver those resources to them directly and honor their loved ones. I meet with um, the women of We Are Better Together um, and some women who have lost their children. It might've been 20 years ago. It might've been two years ago, two days ago. 
And one of the things that I've learned in my own grief and their grief, it is not linear. It oftentimes gets compounded and triggered by the continued loss of life of young people in our city. And so I hope those few steps will bring equity and justice to this conversation. But until we care and understand Jane Baldwin's quote, that the children are all of ours and they belong to all of us, um, I think that this is going to repeat itself. And uh, we should be doing better, um, not only for the memory of Tyler Lawrence and his beautiful grandmother who passed shortly after, but for all of our children in the city and the state of Massachusetts. We're speaking with State Senator Liz Miranda, Adrian Walker of the Boston Globe, and former State Representative Marie St. Fleur, following a conversation with Remy Lawrence, whose son Tyler Lawrence was shot and killed a year ago this week. Um, And just a note, uh, the state senator just talked about the gun bill that was passed in the Senate last night, and we'll have a breakdown of that for you uh, coming up on Monday on Radio Boston. Um, Adrian Walker, I'll turn to you next. Um, The law enforcement dimension of this, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, thoughts there? Well, I mean, law enforcement did what it does. I mean, they did, uh, you know... identify a suspect pretty quickly and make an arrest, and now we wait for the trial. But, you know, the thing that as a community, as a society, we've never figured out is how to stay with these tragedies, you know? Something happens, and three or four days later, there's another tragedy, and we all move on. And I think that's where so much of the pain here comes from. And we have to figure out how to support people for longer periods of time. And have you heard from other families the same call, Adrian, other times that you've you've had, sadly, had these interviews, had these conversations? Oh, absolutely, I have. And, you know, and, and look, we in the media are guilty of it, too. Absolutely, you know, we are guilty of moving on to the next thing. But they don't get to move on, you know. They live with this every day for the rest of their lives. I think there's a numbness that has happened. I mean, I, I was in office um, when we had a, a, a spat of violence increase between 1999 um, 2004, 2005. And what happens is a numbness. And we forget that losing your kid is the worst nightmare. And everybody who has a child just cannot even, wa- don't even want to think about what that could mean for them. There's a deep fear. You know, I had, I raised a boy in the city of Boston and I used to tell the guy I worked for that, you know, the hours between 2 and 6 p.m. were the worst hours of my life every day of my life because I didn't know how my kid was, you know, him getting from and, you know, from from school to home and I live in, in the community and I stay in in the community. And so I, 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 I get that. What happens is people don't want to think about it. One, there's a numbness that comes because it happens so often. And so we really need to think about that. It's happening so often that we just like all the other noise that happens, we have to shut it down. Because and then while people are struggling with everyday life trying to figure out how to put food on the table, how to... So there's a lot of things happening to people, and we do not. Um, so the community at large, it's very difficult. Now, for the community, for the individuals who are actually experiencing it, we have these one quick responses. We show up, and then we, we, we go away. Because um, what we have is these teams that come in for a quick minute, they stay with them, and then they're gone. There's no longevity. 
So there have to be political decisions that recognizes that we have communities that have been traumatized and we have to deploy resources in a different way. We've got to fund differently. We've got to fund public health differently. We've got to fund um, human services differently so that those wraparound supports are not simply just segmentized, but they're happening in a continuum, understanding that people's grief don't end at the time that the funeral ends, that it continues. And, you know, how do you show that? How does she show up at work? How does Remy show up at work uh, last year, today? How does she show up? How do the how does her family, that extended family in, in Mattapan show up? How do their employers react to them? How are the kids who are connected to Tyler and Mattapan showing up in school today? So who's helping? There isn't anybody helping. And the, and the system, the political decisions that are made about the deployment of resources, and resources is money and people. They're not being made in order to accompany those families on the long term. And that's what we have to do differently. There's so much more we could discuss, but I think we will... I think we will stop there. Uh, Marie St. Fleur uh, is a former state representative and principal at St. Fleur Communications. Uh, Liz Miranda is a state senator of the 5th Suffolk. And Adrian Walker is a Boston Globe associate editor and columnist. I want to thank all three of you for joining us um, to honor the call from Remy Lawrence and reflect with us today here on Radio Boston. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.